0: Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca.
1: Today's scripture reading is Luke 2, verses 1 through 15. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world.
0: Uh, my name is Tony. It is so good to be here with you. As Melissa uh, said at the opening of our service this morning, um, my role has changed over the last few months. So beginning October, I've sort of stepped into this new role as site pastor of Bolton, which means we don't get to see you guys anymore. And so though we are uh, just thankful and expectant and hopeful and, and um um, just really seeing God work in all sorts of ways in our new congregation that we're with on a regular basis. We certainly miss you, and it's great to be able to come back uh, every once in a while. And I would say this, friends, um, I think in, even in a new way, um, you know, I think all of our staff in particular, but, th- you know, there's a, there's a small handful of us that have gotten a regular firsthand experience of being part of both our congregations now soon we're stepping as Melissa said we're stepping into three congregations like uh, and um, uh, being uh, you know having had experience both with with many of you but also now with uh, friends in in our Bolton site I'm just very aware these days that we're actually in a season where there's a lot of heavy lifting going on. There's a number of individuals I know here amongst us, certainly in Bolton as well, where just many people are, are walking through some very difficult and heavy things in life. Um, as well as a church congregation, like as a whole church, we are in a heavy season. We are doing some heavy lifting, particularly as we go through all of these big changes that we're going through, right, as a church. Um... <clears throat> Changes happening here, certainly, uh, you know, n- many uh, uh, new things in Bolton, but also here as we prepare to launch uh, our King City site. So I would say this is one of the heaviest seasons that we've been in as a whole church, both individually and collectively, uh, at least as, as long as I've been here over the last seven and a half years or so. But I would also say that um, I think this is probably the most hopeful, expectant, and joyful I have ever been in all of my ministry time, um, I am seeing God at work, both again, individually and collectively in all sorts of ways. And I think it is so cool. Even in the midst of heavy lifting and heavy things, God continues to be at work. And so friends, this is exciting that I'm so thankful to be part of this church. I'm so thankful to be part of this broader community. I'm so thankful to be here this morning, uh, with you. Um, um so it's just good but we do miss you uh at the same time so my whole family came be sure if if uh you can uh to just come by and say hello before you go. We're in the season that we call Advent, aren't we friends? If you've been part of a church uh, for any period of time or you've come to church around this time of year, this is probably a familiar word to you, Advent. This is the time uh, typically over the December weeks leading up to Christmas that we call within Christian circles Advent. This is an old word. We don't really use it in any other context um, except this. Um, It is an old Latin word, and it simply means coming um, or arrival. We're celebrating, leading, up to the coming, the arrival of the very living God into human flesh in the world, right? Um, The, the, The church word for this or the theological word for this is that we're celebrating, that we're leading up to, that Christmas day is all about is incarnation. Um, Maybe you've heard that word before. Maybe it's not a familiar word. This is what that, this is the word we use to describe this incredible, powerful, mysterious thing that happened 2000 years ago when God actually came into the world in the form of a human. He actually entered in fully into the human experience, experience all the things that are so beautiful about being human and all the things that we experience that are broken about being human as well. And he came in, in the form of a person named Jesus from Nazareth, not only to bring the promise, but also to actually bring the beginning of all of God's plans to make all things new, all the things that are broken, new, beautiful, the way that they were always intended to be, to restore all things, to bring back all things the way that they were meant to be. And so it is no wonder that when we talk about Advent, when we are in this season every year, um, that we use words, some of the words that we most commonly hear and that we use and that we see on posters that we put on our homes are words like peace and hope and joy, right? Those are Advent words. And these are the words that we've been exploring over the last few weeks, right? So a couple weeks ago, Vijay talked about peace. Last week was hope. This morning, we're going to talk about joy. And we're, gonna, we're, 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 we're using this Advent season for us as a community to explore what these words are all about. To explore the fact that these are actually Jesus' words. He came into the world to bring peace, right? In the midst of all of the chaos and the conflict and the turmoil that we often find ourselves in. That we see both inside of us, but also all around us. He came into the world to bring hope. Right? Vij last week talked about the fact that Jesus came in as a light into the darkness. We see darkness all around. That is often our experience, darkness, difficulty, um, all of these things. And Jesus came in to be a light of hope like the dawn rising in the morning after a, a, a night of darkness. And certainly he came in the world to bring joy in the midst of difficulty and despair and loss. Jesus actually came in in the midst of those things to bring joy. But I would say this, even if you're not a church person, even if you don't necessarily think about this time of year quite in those terms, those words are still very much words of this season, right? Peace and joy and hope. Uh, Those are words that we see kind of like, they're in our Christmas movies they're on our uh, our our, our uh, this season's commercials they're in our songs they're certainly in our expectations right these are all peace and hope and joy these are all feelings that we want to feel at this time of year especially aren't they and there is something about this season that for many of us, we spend hours and days and some of us even weeks, some of us, you don't need to stand up or put your hand up, some of us even months thinking about this time of year and planning and preparing for this time and kind of entering into chaos and busyness and all of this stuff just so that hopefully we have one or two days where we have a little bit more of a possibility to experience a good measure of these things, of peace and hope and joy, right? Right? But I would say at the same time, there is something about this time of year in particular where these things kind of remain uh, remain like elusive for us. They kind of feel like they're just outside of our reach in so many ways, don't they? It's like when they come, And hopefully for for most of us, there will be some moments of peace and hope and joy over these next couple weeks, especially. Um, But when they come, it feels often like they kind of come for a passing moment. They come for a few hours, they come for a day or two, and then they're gone as quickly as they came. Many of us actually spend a lot more time planning, hoping, preparing to experience these things than we actually do experiencing them, don't we? And I would say that is if you're in a relatively good place in life. If you're in a place where you may be in a season of ongoing or kind of chronic struggle, whether it's financial struggle, maybe it's looking for a job, maybe there's another kind of struggle that's going on in your life. If you're in a season where you've had particularly like an extended or a a deeply important relationship that has been broken or strained. Um, If you're in a season of illness, if you're in a season of loss, maybe you've, you've, you've recently lost a loved one or someone who is near or dear to you. Perhaps this is the first Christmas that you're going through without that person. Then man, our lack of these things, our lack of peace and hope and joy, right? can feel even worse. can feel even greater. We have all of these images at this time of year of kind of the, 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 the Christmas table spread with like the generous sort of spread of food all around, family gathering, everyone in a good place with one another, the tree with sort of the full presence all around it. We have these images of that and what we expect this season to be. If you're not in a good place, if you're going through some kind of difficulty, those kinds of images make this stuff feel like it's like further away and harder to find than, than, uh, than ever. And so, um, if that's the case, if this is the reality that we long for peace and hope and joy, particularly in this season, and at the same time there's something about all of them that feels like it's just beyond our grasp, that's elusive in nature, and if we're going through a hard time, it feels like they're even farther away, then like, the question that we wanna be wrestling with through this Advent series, that we've been trying to wrestle with for the last couple weeks and, and this morning as well, is like, then, then how does Advent, how does the arrival of Jesus make a difference in all of this? Um, even how does the arrival of Jesus, the coming of Jesus into the world, actually even make these things possible? Peace and hope and joy, perhaps in ways that we wouldn't maybe naturally or normally think uh, to, to look for. And then even if that's the case, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to be people who are people of peace and people of hope and people of joy in the middle of a world full of people who are actually searching for these things all over the place? And I would say, so this morning we're going to wrestle with joy. And I would say these questions are particularly important to ask when it comes to this whole topic of joy. Why? Because, um, I don't, think, I don't think it's a hard argument to make that in many ways we live in a culture that is obsessed with the pursuit of joy, don't we? The pursuit of happiness, right? That's actually built in, those very words are built into the American Constitution. I know we're not American, we're Canadian, but we're certainly linked in so many uh, ways, some ways that we would be uh, um, uh, less willing to admit than others, right? Um, but this is words that I would say are built into our cultural psyche, the pursuit of happiness. This is one of our inalienable rights, right? Along with life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness is something that is sort of built into our cultural our identity. We believe as a culture that we are designed to deserve happiness. And so our culture is sort of built around in all sorts of ways of making this happen, right? Whether it's through the pursuit of wealth and opportunities that are available for that, uh, entertainment in all sorts of ways. We're in a place that's really designed to to bring joy in a lot of ways, isn't it? To bring happiness, to bring entertainment. Here, being in a movie theater, technology and technological advances, all these things, they're designed to bring happiness. And I know as you even talk about this and talk about the pursuit of happiness and the language that we use around that, there would be some that would want to even just stop me right there and say, well, Tony, now you're sort of switching, you're turning the table a little bit. Now, I thought we were talking about joy. Now you're talking about happiness. We need to make a distinction between joy and happiness. And so some would want to do that. And they'd say, well, joy is really about a deep, unchanging internal reality, that isn't really impacted or affected by our external circumstances, by the things going around us. And happiness is one of those things that can come and go sort of based on the things going on around our lives or in our lives. That's more of an external thing, right? And so someone would want to make that distinction and say that the kind of stuff that Jesus brings is more about joy and this internal reality than it is the external things. And I would say, okay, in in, in some ways at least, I think that can be a very helpful distinction for us to make. But at the same time, I would say, man, okay, that's a gift from God, right? That's a gift if you have a deep, internal, unchanging joy going on in your life, no matter what external circumstances are going on in your life. But I would also say, You know what? If you've got some external things going, if you've got the circumstances of your life or are things that are good and that are bringing joy into your life, man, that's also a gift from God, isn't it? That's a gracious thing that comes from God. Um, And and he loves us enough. Like that, this is, I think, why he actually came in the world, to be physical. He didn't just come as a, as a spirit. He actually came to be physical presence, to walk and talk with us in our external, to have an impact on our external circumstances. So whereas on, on one level, there may be at times and ways and places where that might be a helpful distinction to make. I'm not sure it's the most helpful distinction to make because I think in so many ways both of these things are a gift from God. What I would say is one distinction that I do believe is worth paying attention to is this, when it comes to joy. It's where we go to find it. It's where we go to find our joy. Because I would say, in many ways, in our culture, the predominant way that we have been conditioned or trained or we have just grown up doing, the predominant way that we pursue joy And it's not the only way, and I don't want to oversimplify this in any ways. I know there's lots of nuance to this in all sorts of ways. But in many ways, the predominant way that we pursue joy is through escape. It's through escape. It's where do we go to find our joy? We move away from the difficult things, from the challenging things, from the hard things of life. We try to step into experiences that just help us temporarily forget those things. Don't we? And so... um, um, our joyful experiences in life, in little ways and in big ways, are often those experiences where we can, uh, where we can sort of leave our worries and our concerns behind, right? We can hakuna matata. Um, where, where, where we can just kind of not think about them, where we can be taken out or away from them. So, I would say, I think about this on all sorts of levels. In many ways, the screen has become our daily escape, hasn't it, right? Whether it's that, the latest Netflix series or, or, or Amazon Prime series that you're binging on or now a Disney Plus series, right? Many of you have signed up for that. Um, whether it's that or whether it's social media or whether it's like YouTube binging or whatever it is, like the screen, however it might look for you, um, the screen has become in many ways our daily escape. And we even use language around some of this stuff. We say, oh, I just need an hour to zone out, right? Uh, our weekly escape has become the weekend. And we say stuff like, the, I just, I, as I was reflecting on this, I found it fascinating, even the language that we use, right? We, so we say stuff like, oh, thank God it's Friday. I don't even want to think about work over the weekend. right? I just want to do, I want to have some of my time. I want to do the stuff that I want to do, and I want to leave some of my worries behind over the weekend. Our vacation has become our yearly escape, right? And we say, we say stuff like, oh, that's going to be my getaway, I'm going to get away from it all, all the stuff that's hard and difficult in life, so at least I can have a week or a couple weeks in the summer or I can go down south or whatever, and physically, literally get away and leave all my cares and worries behind. And then and then we've got retirement for. for for those of us who are lucky enough to sort of build up our nest egg and then spend more extended periods of time kind of getting away from it all and doing all the things that we used to only get to do in our evenings and weekends, right? I find it fascinating, and I'm not pointing the finger here. I see it in myself just as much as I see it around me. This is stuff that is deeply, deeply ingrained in our culture. The predominant way that we pursue joy is through escape. And On the one hand, I would say these, none of these things are bad things in themselves. You could be doing a lot worse, couldn't you? <laughs> um, the problem with these things, the problem is it doesn't take away our problems. They don't take away our problems, none of these things do. Our problems are still there the next morning after we've had an hour or two of zone out time that evening. Our problems are still there when the weekend is over and Monday is here, we're back to work on Monday morning. Our problems are still there after our vacation and we've had a couple weeks of bliss, but now we're back into the thick of it. And even in retirement, you can't run away from all of your problems, friends. You know this, I don't need to tell you this. There are certain problems that will follow you wherever you go whether it is health-related, whether it is family-related, whether there are a million and one problems that won't let you run away that easy. And the typical ways that we uh, pursue joy, though they may bring temporary relief, they simply don't do anything to change the the realities in which we live. And they don't even do anything to equip, to, to, to change us, to change us like to equip or to empower or to change us to be able to go back into our problems and make them any different. They, they cut us off completely. It's fascinating. And I would say more than this, um, this kind of thinking about how we pursue joy has certainly uh, impacted and, and, and made its way into our Christian spirituality. The way that we think about heaven, how do we think about that? That is the ultimate escape, isn't it? where one day heaven is going to be the place where we will be able to leave all of our problems, all of our difficulties, all of our challenges beso- behind. And that will be the place of pure ultimate joy. Won't it? It's even impacted, I would say, and, and, and solidified certain schools of thought that exist around this season. Advent, advent is about the coming of Jesus into the world. And so it is meant to do for us at least a couple of things. One to look back onto the story of Jesus' first coming, the story that Dan read for us this morning of Jesus being born as a baby into the world, right? Coming in human flesh into the world and all of the things he did through his life and ministry on earth. But it is also a season that is meant to actually Um, 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 direct our minds and our hearts forward into the future because Jesus not only came once in human form, he is going to come again. The scriptures tell us in human form, in physical form, he is going to come to the world again and this time he is going to make all things right. He is going to wipe away every tear and every sorrow and every sadness and every darkness and difficulty, all of that. And he is going to make the world fully and completely the way that it is meant to be, the way that God has always intended it to be. That will be the second advent or the second coming of Jesus. But there are certainly uh, strong schools of thought within the broader church that say one of the things that's going to happen when Jesus comes again is, maybe you've heard this term, the rapture. Right? and where Jesus is going to pluck out all of the people that believe in him and take them away and all the rest of the world and all the rest of the people in it are going to go to hell in a handbasket. But all these people are going to get to escape, right, escape the coming wrath of God. That is a strong school of thought within certain Christian circles, but I would say our, the way that we, have, that we typically, our culture pursues joy only feeds into that. And the other big problem with this is that when, when this is the mentality out of which we pursue joy, the Christmas story itself becomes very confusing. Very confusing. Because as, as Dan read for us, this, incredible, this is probably a very familiar story for many of you. If you've ever been in church around Christmas time, this maybe was a passage that was read for you. And we have this incredible announcement, right? The shepherds are out in their fields it's in the middle of the night, they're watching their flocks, it's a random group of people, and all of a sudden the, the night sky lights up with shining bright light. And an angel shows up to them and said, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. It's the, it's <clears throat> the Messiah, the Lord. And he says, this, oh, and, and, and he says, I bring you, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. That's what the angel said. Because today in the town of David, savior has been born, the Messiah, the Lord, this is who it is. And then the angel says, this is the sign. This is the thing that you need to go see that's going to confirm and prove to you that there is this incredible new thing that has happened in the world, this thing that is going to bring great joy for all people in the world. This is the sign, this is the thing that you're going to need to see. You're going to go see a baby wrapped up in strips of cloth, lying in a manger, lying in a feeding trough. And the problem that we have with that, friends, is that that is not a joyful scene. This is not a joyful scene. The angel said, I have good news for you of great joy for all people. Here's the th- what would you expect if someone came into the room and someone burst into the room and said, guys, I've got great news. This is good news of great joy for all of you. And here's the scene. You're gonna go find someone in this kind of a situation. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up, friends. This was, one, this was an incredibly distressful scene you now, maybe m- many of you are probably familiar with this, right? We've got this young couple, Mary and Joseph. They are poor. They have, uh, we know throughout their lives, they had very little money um, for them. The, and not only are they poor, but they're abandoned. They have been shut out by family. Again, I, know, I know, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this, but like Mary, right, Mary, at least according to everyone else around her, she had this baby. She was pregnant right now, out of wedlock. And even in our own culture, where we've got all sorts of different views and, there's, and, uh, and um, perceptions kind of around um, uh, uh, what the family dynamic is, what our, how our sexuality is meant to be lived out, all these sorts of things. To get pregnant out of wedlock in our culture certainly still brings lots of shame and embarrassment and challenge for, uh, for young women in our culture. In this culture, times it by 100 for Mary to be pregnant out of wedlock was a deeply, deeply shameful thing, not just for her, but for her family. And so her family would have stepped right away from her. And so we hear this, this almost throwaway line in this story that Dan read for us, that um, the baby was wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn, right? Better translation of that word is guesthouse. And think about this, friends. They, they were traveling from up north in Israel, in Nazareth, down south to Bethlehem, which was just outside of Jerusalem. Um, they had to go because it was a census. Dan, well done on Quirinius. I can never say that right, Dan. Dan. Um, they were traveling down to Bethlehem. They had to go there because this was, this was Joseph's ancestral town. And so to do the census, you needed to go to the town of your ancestors. And so that means that Joseph wouldn't have been the only one in his family traveling to Bethlehem. Would he? All of his family actually would have been traveling to Bethlehem. Have you thought about that? But there's something that we can tell in this image is they were alone. There was, guess what? No room. In the guest house. The guest house wasn't a, like it wasn't like a random inn that they knocked on all the doors and it was full and, and it's not like knocking on hotel doors. The guest house was typically a house or a room that would have been the upper level or the upper room, just like what we're called. The upper room of of many homes where this would have been the room where families who lived and they had two stories. The the lower story would have been the place where they did kind of the, the cooking. The cleaning, Uh, oftentimes homes, this would even be the the level where animals would be allowed to stay. And then the upper room would have been the room where they, were, uh, they would have done the hosting, the eating, the meals, where guests would have stayed overnight. And so not only would Mary and Joseph have been traveling down into Bethlehem, probably with other family, but not with other family. Other family would have been going down, but probably would have left them to travel on their own. Then guess what? They get there. And probably if this was Joseph's ancestral town, he probably would have had some relatives still living there. I think it's a likely assumption to make that assumption. And guess what? Out of all of those people, no room in the guest house. How many guest houses might there have been available to members of Joseph's family? And so the reality was they were either potentially, uh, maybe one of Joseph's relatives would have let them come in and stay in the lower level where the animals were allowed to to be kept. But they also might have just been shut completely out and staying in a cave. Staying in a cave, friends, giving birth in a cave, having nowhere to put your baby except wrapping him up in strips of cloth and lying him in a feeding trough. It's fascinating. We sing all of these songs. I think some of our Christmas carols and songs do a disservice to this because they over nostalgize the reality that Mary and Joseph were in. Many of you know these things, right? But we still, we have these images. We make our nice little nativity scene. Oh, we put the barn there. It's so nice. And Jesus, we lay him in a nice little bed of hay. If you were in that situation, this would be desperate. Desperate, friends. This was not a joyful scene. How is it that the angel can come to the... the um, Um, the shepherds who, by the way, themselves, they were the only ones who came to see this baby when he was born. The shepherds were riffraff. These were people that couldn't get a job anywhere else. These were people that, like no joke, some commentators say they, any of them were getting high in the fields. They were the expendables because it didn't matter if they got eaten by a wolf. (laughs) They were people that weren't even worth naming in this story. And these were the only people that came to visit. Friends, how is it that the angel could say, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And this is how you're going to know what it is. This was desperate. It wasn't a joyful scene. Jesus, the living God came into the world in incredibly, in an, into an incredibly distressing scene. How is, this, how is this supposed to bring joy? How is this even supposed to help us understand how God works in the world? I would say simply this, I don't don't need to delay on this. Jesus didn't come into the world to help us escape the difficult things in life. He came in to the difficult things to bring God's goodness. He didn't come into the world to help us escape the difficult things in life. He came into the difficult things to bring the very goodness of God. And this is why, this is why the angel said, this is who it is that's being born in the town of David. He is the savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the very goodness of God wrapped up in human flesh. And he comes to bring The goodness of God, he comes to bring, this is why it's good news, because he has come to bring the goodness of God right into the midst of our most difficult circumstances. It's the only way, friends, that we can make sense of this manger scene. Otherwise, it's just too confusing. How else could there possibly be anything joyful in that scene? If you were there, you would not be a joyful person. I certainly wouldn't. This is the sign of the Savior, friends, that he is the one who brings God's goodness into the most distressing things in life. And this is what Jesus did, right? This is what he did over and over and over again. He did not run away from difficult things. And in fact, he didn't even come to help other people escape their difficult things, did he? He just brought the goodness of God into those difficult things. And so one example of these, if you've been tracking through our community Bible reading and reading our online blog each week over this season, one of the things we're doing as a community, and hopefully you've had a chance to participate in at least some way, we're reading through one of the four biographies of Jesus that are in the New Testament, the Gospel according to John. This is John's account of Jesus' life. And, uh, and a couple weeks ago, we were in some of the opening chapters of John. and We had this, uh, this great story in John chapter 5. And this is just one of many, many examples that we have of Jesus not running away from the difficult things, but going right into them and bringing God's goodness. And so if you were tracking through it, you read this story about a man who had been crippled or disabled for 38 years of his life. So it, it probably means he was older than, than 38, maybe something happened at some point early on in his life where, where he, he uh, uh, maybe an accident or we don't know, who knows, but he had been crippled it says for 38 years. And he was in Jerusalem, um, the capital of Israel, and there was a pool in there. And, and the, the belief about that pool was every once in a while an angel would come and stir up the water in that pool. And when the water was stirred up, if you were crippled or sick or disabled or something, um, had something, some kind of illness, the first one to uh, step into the pool or jump into the pool after the waters had been stirred up by that angel, they would be healed. And so Jesus comes up to this man and he's lying next to the pool. And he says, do you want to be healed? And all the man, is so desperate, he couldn't even say yes. All he could say is, well... Every time the water gets stirred up, I've got no one here to even help me get in. And so someone gets in before me. So that tells us that he was probably sitting by this pool for not just a couple days or a couple weeks, but probably a long period of time. Every day, he was probably brought there to sit there. And he was so helpless that he couldn't even make his own way into the pool when the waters were stirred up. He was so hopeless that he couldn't even say yes to a simple question like that. Right? And so what does Jesus do? He says friend, get up, pick up your mat and walk. (laughs) And, and he does. The man does. After 38 years, he probably forgot what it even was to walk. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing, doesn't actually say in the story, but I don't think it needs to say, right? I'm guessing that probably brought a good measure of joy to this man's life, didn't it? Man, what a good thing that was. What a good thing that was. Jesus went right into the middle of this man's distress and he brought goodness, the goodness of God. He said something good. He did something amazingly good. And this man walked away with joy. And it's fascinating. After this, there were some people there because it happened on a Sabbath. And so there's people that were criticizing Jesus because he was doing this work of healing on the Sabbath. They completely missed the point of the in goodness of God. They completely missed it. And so Jesus responds to that. And you know what he says? He says, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So that you will be amazed. This is the work of God that Jesus came to do. He said, the father is always at work. And so this is my work too. This is the plan. This is the work. This is the thing that God is doing in the world. He is going into the midst of the dark and difficult and distressing things and bringing his goodness. And so Jesus said, that's what God is about. So that's what I'm about. And guess what? When you see these things, you're going to be amazed. That's a joy word, friends, right? When we see the goodness of God breaking in, that's joy. We're going to be amazed, And this is what Jesus did over and over again in his life. He did not run away from these difficult things. He did not even help others escape these difficult things. No, he just went right into them. He ran toward sinners, not away from them. When the religious elite would steer clear, keep their distance, Jesus went toward them and he brought the goodness of forgiveness. He ran toward unclean people. This was a word that they used in their context to say, man, if certain things happen to you, if certain sicknesses or illnesses or um, just, <laughs> there's a, a whole bunch of things under the sun that could make you ceremonially unclean and so it meant two things one at the very least it meant you could not go into the temple to worship you had to keep your distance from God but two it meant that if anyone else came near you or touched you then your uncleanness like cooties your uncleanness would be transferred over to them and they would be unclean too well guess what Jesus did he went near to unclean people he didn't run away from them he touched them and the reverse happened his cleanness made them clean right? The, the living temple of God, the living presence of God went near to them and made them, he brought goodness right into them. He ran toward the, the, the people who others had marginalized and cast out and sent away and said, you don't belong to this community. No, and Jesus said, you're loved. Let's eat together. That is the symbol of belonging in that culture. He shared meals with them. He did good. He, he, remember, the, to, he, he ran toward people who were hungry and tired or he was preaching all day. At the end of the day, the disciples say, oh, we need to send these people away because they're all hungry and tired. That's, that's our impulse. Send them away. Get them away. Jesus said, no, we're going to feed them. We're going to do good. Right? What a joy. What an amazing thing that would have been to see 4,000, 5,000 people fed. He ran toward people who were racked with demons, people who, who everyone else stayed away from because if you came near, they would, they would be violent. And you'd be destructive. No, Jesus went toward them. He set them free. Everywhere he went, he went into the dark and difficult places. He brought the goodness of God. Joy results. He didn't run away from these things. He went right into them, friends. This is so opposite to how we, at least how I naturally respond to things. And so here's here's the question. You know, one more question that we need to wrestle with then. If this is what it looked like for Jesus to bring joy into the world, Right? He, he wasn't an entertainer. Love that. Jesus didn't come to entertain. That's how we pursue joy so often through entertainment. He didn't come to do that. He came right in, and He didn't even come to help other people escape. He just came to bring the goodness of God right into their midst. And so if that's what it looked like for Jesus to bring joy, then what does it look like for us to bring joy? I think it means the same thing. Uh, not just because I think so, but because Jesus said so. He said, not only, well, this is what my father's work is, therefore this is what my work is. Guess what else he said? John, same author, same biography, just a few chapters later in John chapter 14, 12, this is what Jesus said. He said, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. I love that. Isn't that cool? So Jesus said, okay, this is my father's work. Therefore, this is my work. And I'm going to do even greater things. And you're going to be amazed. And then he says, this is my work. So now I'm giving this work to you. And you're going to do even greater things than that. You're going to do greater things than the greater things I did. Because I am going to the father. That's what he said. He told his followers that. And because of that, he told his followers, like those who follow him today, that too. This is the ultimate good that Jesus did. He was hinting at it. He said, listen, this is happening soon. That I am coming and the, uh, I have been doing the good work of the Father all this time. And now uh, the ultimate good that I am doing is about to happen. I am going to go to the cross. I am going into the heart of darkness, sin, and death itself. And I am going to do the greatest work of good that has ever been done. I am going to remove sin. Take sin off of you and put it on me. Take death off of you and put it on me. And then I'm going to rise again. To show that these things no longer have the last word Jesus does, his goodness does, his goodness is now breaking into the world and I'm giving that to be your work to do. And this is what he said, right? This is the work. If you believe in me, you will do the work that I have done. You will do even greater things. To not run away from dark and difficult, to run right into the midst and bring the goodness of God. Jesus did that. It brought joy. He calls us to do that. That is how we will be people of joy, friends. And we're not called to do these good things, this good work. We're not. We're not called to do it to to earn points with God to get into His good books. It's not why we're called to do it. We're called to do it because that's what he's done for us. We're called to do it because he, he, he wants to do it through us. We're called to do it because when we do, guess what? It brings joy to people around us. And I know many of you have experienced too, when you are part of the good work of God breaking into this world, it brings joy to you. When you know that God has used you to do something good, something of value in this world, something of eternal significance, that brings joy to you. That's incredible to say, wow, I think God used me. I think the living God of the universe saw me, guided me, led me, called me, and used me to make a difference in someone else's life. That's powerful. That's amazing. That brings joy, friends. And, And we also don't do this on our own. This is one of the beautiful promises that we have, the realities that we have of this time of year, that Jesus came to be flesh, to be Emmanuel, to be God with us, which means we do this good work with him. We don't need to go kind of searching and striving and straining, looking for all the things, oh, now what good am I supposed to do? No, we just listen. We invite Jesus to speak and to lead and guide and then go with us into the good that he's calling us to do whether it's a good word for someone that needs to hear it, whether it's a good act that someone needs practical help. Maybe it's to share the good news about who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. Now I was thinking about this. So what does it look like? I mean, the first example that came to mind, and maybe uh, I hope you don't see this as a, as a cop-out, but I was just thinking that, you know, we had one of our, one of our favorite friends and favorite, uh, our partner in ministry, Lizette Lavoie here just a few weeks ago, right? She's over here in Canada. Many of you are very familiar with her. Maybe she's a new face for some of you. She's been serving in Guinea, Guinea, West Africa, Conakry, one of the cities there. um, For almost the last 30 years, And over the last many years, she has founded, along with a a few national Ghanaians, what's called the Kids in Crisis Center, where they are helping and they are bringing in orphans and other kids who have been impacted, uh, affected and infected by uh, HIV and AIDS. And so they have been sort of working. and, And friends, this is what Lizette is doing, isn't it? She and the people that are working with her are bringing the very goodness of God right into one of the most difficult and distressing situations that is around. Something that is probably far more difficult and distressing than many of us have experienced. Um, This is a country of extreme poverty. um, Very little infrastructure to help with uh, kids in these kinds of situations. There are very few other places or centers that would even think to do anything like this in a a country like Guinea. This is a a country where children with this kind of sickness or these kinds of disabilities are usually just not valued. And so they're just, uh, oftentimes even when they're born, if someone is born and there's a noticeable physical disability, they will literally be left out on the street to die. Um, this is a country where, um, like the kids in crisis center, has very other few, like very few other resources outside of the church that they are partnered with to uh, to fund them, to help them, to assist with them. Many, of you, I know, a number of you have been there, so you've seen it firsthand. What I love is Lizette is not running away from this, right? She has been so racked by God that she actually, she, she, she dislikes coming back to Canada. She's like, oh, I have to go home. It's like my yearly or my every four-year home assignment. I got to come. I want to go back. When Ebola crisis had hit, um, they were actually taking out our international workers from the countries that were wanting to, uh, because Guinea was one of the countries that it was hitting most hard. Lizette wanted to go back into Guinea in the heart of the Ebola crisis. I love this. So She's not running away from it. The other thing I love is she is not trying to help the other national Guineans escape from Guinea either. She's not running an emigration business or organization, is she? She's bringing the goodness of God right into their midst. And I love the story that she told a couple of weeks. I assume she told it here too, but she talked about the fact that they, they've got the, these new Ghanaian national soccer jerseys. And they bought every single kid who's part of the center a brand new Ghanaian soccer jersey. And you know what she said? At least she said this in both. I don't know if she said it here. But she said, when all of our kids put their jerseys on and they started walking around town, you know what happened? The people outside the center, people who lived around town, they saw all these kids and they were amazed. They were amazed. Because they're doing so this goodness. They're bringing practical care. They're bringing emotional care. They're bringing relational care. They're bringing spiritual care. They're saying, look, all of this is actually an extension of what Jesus came to do. You need to know Jesus because this is why he came. Love it. And, you know, on the one hand, I think we could say, well, okay, that's a bit of an extreme example. That's like way over there. That's, you're talking about a missionary, of course, so you're going to get a story like that from a missionary. Well, I would say this. If it can happen there... <laughs> In that kind of a situation, surely it can happen here, can it? Surely it can happen in our situations, in our relationships, in our spheres of influence. And so over the last few weeks, <clears throat> we've been trying to um, just incorporate a little bit of a personal reflection time in this. And so I want to do this. Like, like, what does it look like for us, for you and for me as Jesus people, to not run away? To not, maybe you're even thinking about what these next couple weeks hold for you. Maybe you know that you've got to go into a difficult or dark or distressing experience or family gathering or whatever it might be for you. Um, maybe you're not looking forward to that. Do we ever ask the question, Jesus, what would it look like for me to bring your goodness into that situation? I don't ask that question near, <laughs> nearly often enough. It was one of the things I was convicted with, as just praying and reflecting and preparing for this. So I wanna take some time and just do that with you. Just have a bit of a time of just listening to Jesus. And, um, and to say, you know, instead of trying to escape or run away or get away from these things, what might it look like for us to bring the goodness of Jesus right into those? So take a moment with me. if you want, you can close your eyes. And just ask Jesus, like Jesus, or, or maybe you can tell him, <laughs> you know, where is there a dark, difficult, distressing reality in me or around me right now? Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's with a work situation. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe you know what it is. If you don't, Jesus does. And then just simply ask him this question. This might be a question for you to take away and continue to ask him. Maybe over these next couple weeks, maybe beyond. Jesus what good can I do that comes from you it's not just about doing good it's about doing good that comes from Jesus himself to listen to him to let him lead you into that what good can I do that comes from you just take a moment and ask him that So maybe that's a, a word of encouragement for someone, maybe that's to help meet a practical need maybe that's to be a listening ear maybe that's to extend the offer of forgiveness for the first time into a situation so my encouragement to you is if you've heard Jesus say something to you respond to him don't let that be put to the wayside don't run away from that make a commitment follow through walk into it not away from it and we need his help to do that so you can certainly ask him to do that this is what it means friends for us to bring joy into the world not to be glorified or spiritual entertainers not even to help other people escape the difficult things in life but to be people through the very spirit of Jesus and with his help to go right into these difficult things in little ways and in big ways whatever that might look like and to bring his goodness and when we do it will bring joy And so I just want to pray for you maybe there's something specific on your mind and your heart and so as I pray you can even just be lifting that up in prayer as well A man he would show us what it looks like to bring people of goodness that bring great joy for all people because that's what he has done for us so let's pray Jesus, this is who you are. This is why you came. You came to be born in the town of David because you are Savior. You are Messiah. You are Lord. You are the very goodness of God wrapped up in human form to come into our midst. And so Jesus, I know there are some in this room that need you to show yourself as that. That need you somehow to bring the sign of your good news of great joy into the midst of their distress. You know their heartache. You know their physical aches and pains. You know what lies ahead in their next week and in their next year. And Jesus, um, be near to them. Be Emmanuel, God with us to them. And then Jesus, you know the places that we go, you know the places that we walk, you know the places that we work, that we live, that we relate with others. You know those places and you walk with us, whether we know it or not. And so man, would you just give us eyes to see the ways that you are walking? And would you give us courage and faith to walk into those places, the places where you are going? And then would you give us wisdom and grace to know what it looks like to bring your your goodness not generic goodness but your goodness that has a different ring to it so we invite you to do that we pray for grace to help us to see and to follow we thank you Jesus amen just being reminded again what a powerful word that is that the angel gave that this will be a sign That this will be a sign that you will know that the goodness of God has come. This is the sign of good news, of great joy of all people. And this is how you're going to see it. It, the, the, The baby in the manger was so unusual. It was meant to be the unmistakable sign that God had spoken and moved. And so that's what I want to bless you with. I want to bless you wherever you may be with an unmistakable sign of the good news of Jesus, of great joy for all people. Whether it is in the midst of your own distress and darkness, I want to bless you with a sign that you will know that Jesus has not run away from you, but has come right into your midst. And or whether it is around you, I want to bless you that in those situations that you know there is distress, darkness, difficulty around you, I want to bless you with a sign that Jesus is leading you to bring goodness into those situations. Will you receive that this morning? Amen.